during the Revolutionary War, a loyalist spy appeared at the headquarters of a Hessian commander, Colonel Johann Rahl, carrying an urgent message. General George Washington, as the Continental Army, had secretly crossed the Delaware River that morning and were advancing on Trenton, New Jersey, where the Hessians were encamped. The spy was denied an audience with the commander and instead wrote his message on a piece of paper. A porter took the note to the Hessian colonel, but because Rahl was involved in a poker game, he stuffed the unread note into his pocket. When the guards of the Hessian camp began firing their muskets in a futile attempt to stop Washington's army, Rawl was still playing cards. Without time to organize, the Hessian army was captured. The battle which occurred the day after Christmas 1776 gave the colonists a late present, their first major victory of the war. So someone who had an opportunity to do something about the Revolutionary Army didn't, thankfully, and instead ignored the warning that was given to him. We come this morning to Hebrews chapter 3, starting verse 7, to another warning that the author gives us. Repeated warnings, and this warning actually will continue on into chapter 4. We'll get to that next week. So the challenge for us this morning, I would encourage you to consider from these verses is do not wander from the faith. Do not wander from the faith. And some of you say, well, pastor, you know what, that's, that's tough. I, I never would do that. I would never wander from the faith and, and dis, disavow Jesus and, and live in a way that is contradictory to what he says. Well, I would remind you as we begin, and even the strongest of Christians, even the foremost of the disciples, Peter, denied his Lord. So, do not think that none of us can wander from the faith. So how? How do we, how do we not wander from the faith? Well, I would give us two responsibilities this morning from this passage that would help us not to do that. The first one comes from verses 7-12, through 12, and it simply is this, be attentive to your heart. We need to be attentive to our hearts. And what the author does, he exemplifies this in Scripture. He quotes Psalms 95, verses 7-11. through 11. Hold your finger here in Hebrews 3 and jump back with me with what we read this morning, Psalm 95, just to see the context, to see what's going on. We did read it. But I want us to look at it again. And Psalm 95 is, a, is a, a praise of God. You'll notice in verse 1, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the, to the rock of our salvation. So the psalmist throughout the psalm, starting in verse 1, praises God for his creation, his role as creator, his greatness as shepherd. And then he gets down to verse 7. So it would be 7b, if you uh, get a little technical with your verses there. Starting verse 7b and all the way down to verse 11, the, the psalmist issues a warning. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So what the author is doing is he's praising God, but he's also re- reminding us there is a need to obey God. One can, can come to church on a Sunday morning and, or Wednesday night, whatever it might be, and, and praise God and not be obedient to him. And so the psalmist here, much like what the author of Hebrews is doing, is warning his readers, 
Don't neglect God. Don't harden your hearts like those of Israel did. And you notice some differences here in the quote. And, and the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, differs a little bit on the quote. Because in, in the Septuagint, it mentions two incidents, uh, Meribah and Massah. And those two incidents, if you remember your Old Testament history, the waters of Meribah were bitter, and the children of Israel complained to God about it, and God told Ab- or, excuse me, Moses to do something about it, which Moses did. He rectified the incident, and also the in- incident at Massah, we'll look at Numbers 14 here in a minute, where they complained to God again, and God finally said, enough, this generation is going to die, because they did not believe this. And what the author of Hebrews, you can go back to Hebrews chapter 3, is he's, he's using that phrase in the day of trial in the wilderness to refer to those two events and much more. Because there were other times of disobedience during the wilderness wanderings. So the author of Hebrews is, is showing his readers the necessity of taking God seriously in his commandments. The children of Israel continually put God to the test with their disobedience to his word. If you remember the incident back in Numbers 14, where the spies have come back, they've made a report on the land, and Caleb and the other one, I forget his name now, Joshua, <laughs> Joshua and Caleb, I forget, I, I, uh, my memory goes, I'm 38 years old today, just so you know, okay, there's the age for you, we can move on from that. Um, Joshua and Caleb say, let's go, right? You remember what the other ten spies said? Oh, there's giants in the land. We can't do it. You know, we can't go and uh, take over and, and uh, conquer the land. Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1, because they say in chapter 13, they say, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anna come from the giants. We were like grasshoppers in our sight, and we, so we were in, in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Verse 14, so all the congregation of, chapter 14, verse 1, so the, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. The, the, the irony here is here, they would rather have gone back to Egypt to be slaves than go and to face a few giants that God told them what, in, in, inhabited the land that he promised them. And so God says at the end of chapter 14, as Moses is interceding with the people, he's, he's ready to strike them down, he's ready to wipe them out. He promises, verse 20, Therefore the Lord said, After Moses has interceded for them, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times. So they're on the border of the land, and God says, You've put me to the test ten times. I've proved myself, and I have not heeded my voice. Therefore, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. So the author is using this incident to show not only the hardness of man's heart and the refusal to listen, but also the failure to obey. So the children of Israel revealed the intent of their heart to wander from God and not obey him through this incident and many others. 
And the result for them was a failure to reach the rest of God, which he promises to those who obey him. So he's using this quote to show the danger of disobeying God. The danger of getting to the point where we refuse to believe God and not obey him. Brothers and sisters this morning, I hope you see that's a dangerous place to be. In Numbers, children of Israel repeatedly were confronted with God and they repeatedly refused to listen. Don't be like the children of Israel. Learn from them. History always has to teach us a lesson and by no, means, by no less means is that a lesson for us today. Notice also that this action is to be obeyed. So after he finishes the quote, he gets down to verse 12. Beware, brethren. The word beware is in the imperative, a command. It means to see, behold, consider, think about. It invokes obedience. We might, we might use the simple illustration of a warning sign. You know, you come across them all the time, don't you? Stop. Yield. Uh, watch your step. You know, wet floor signs. Why, why are those there? Those are there to warn you. Hey, you need to stop. Hey, you need to yield to the right. Or, hey, it's slippery. You might want to take your, some caution here when you're stepping on the floor. Those signs exist to warn us and also to remind us, hey, if you don't pay attention to this warning, there are consequences. You're going to get into a car accident. You're going to fall and maybe twist an ankle or break a leg. You know, warning signs are all around us. Much less so, he says, beware, pay attention to, stop. Because if you ignore this warning, there are consequences. Which leads me to ask this morning, just by way of application, are we, are we thinking about the caution, the warning signs that God gives us? They're for a purpose. God's telling us to stop or wait or yield or whatever it might be because he doesn't want us to experience the consequences if we keep going. Notice this command is for, for, the, for those who believe. That's the term brothers, Christians, followers of Christ. So the author is calling the readers to pay attention to what he's saying. They are not to take this issue lightly. It deserves their full attention. They can be like the children of Israel if they're not careful. Which leads me to say, thirdly, your heart can lead you to unbelief. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That phrase, lest there be, just combined together, shows urgency to be attentive. So he's saying beware, and pay special attention to. There's urgency behind this command, this statement. There exists in the possibility of you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, unbelief. And that needs to be an attitude that we're aware of. The word unbelief here means to the idea of not willing to trust. Not willing to put faith in. And therefore, by implication, denying the one or thing in which the trust is not placed. 
So it's the, idea, the idea is it's not trusting in someone and therefore not willing to place your trust in that person or thing. We could use the illustration of a chair. If you approach a chair and you're not believing that it can support you, guess what? You're not going to sit down in it. You're going to avoid it. You're going to find some other place to sit. It's the idea of the word unbelief. And he says, an evil heart. What's the word evil here? I mean, it, the word evil describes the heart. And it recalls to mind the, the quote and the verse from Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is a seat above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? God says our heart is desperately evil. It is deceitful to us. And no one can understand the depths of that deception. Now again, some might look at this passage and say, well, that means you can lose your salvation. Or that means that you can stray from, you can stray from God's promises and therefore God's not going to grant you salvation. What's talked about here, and if we plainly say that this is not talking about salvation, but instead refers to faith. We as believers can choose not to believe God. You, you realize that? You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if that's your, your calling, you've, you've placed your faith in Christ, you've, you've accepted his free gift of salvation, you can choose not to believe God. I know there's times where I've done that, where, God, God I don't believe you. God, I, I did, nah, that's not true. This is not something that we as followers of Jesus Christ are immune to. We, we don't get saved and then automatically everything becomes roses and, you know, everything's all right. We always believe in God. We're always, always consistent in our faith. It's not always the case. We can choose not to believe God. And that's why he says, beware, lest there be any, an evil heart of unbelief. When we choose not to believe God, not to trust in him, we're really acting according to our evil heart. We're being evil by unbelieving Yes, God still loves us. God still died for us. The, the righteousness of Christ covers us. But we can still be evil in our unbelief. And that unbelief, fourthly, can turn you away from God. In departing from the living God. The word, depart, the, the word departing here is where we get our English word apostasy. Okay? Turning away from. Going away from. And here it refers to going away from God. That phrase, living God, points to his exclusivity as the one true God, his nature, and his character. This is who we turn away from when we do not believe. And it recalls to mind what, what the author of Hebrews says at the end of, verse, of chapter 12, when he's giving another warning. In chapter 12, it says in verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. When you and I do not believe God, we do not trust God, that's who we turn away from. We turn away from the one true God who is exclusive in his character and his nature, who is holy and all those different things. That's who we turn away from. And again, some may look at this verse and say that, well, someone can lose their salvation. You know, they can have an unbelieving heart and, and depart. I think contextually this isn't so because of those who are being addressed, who are, who are being talked to. These are Christians. These are followers of Christ already. They've already been saved. They've already been bought by the blood of Christ. And, and so Christ is theirs. 
It's not about a heart that has yet to believe, but a heart that is already believing. So the issue here is not saving faith, it is believing faith. There's a difference, right? Saving faith is when you place your trust in Christ eternally for salvation. You've placed your faith in Him. Believing faith is this continual process of a continuing believing, trusting in, in God. Let me read you a quote from a uh, commentary that I've referenced before. And he kind of gives a, a good perspective on what's going on here. He says, quote, These Hebrew Christians were in danger of committing apostasy, of once for all turning their backs on the Christ who had saved them in the face of increasing persecution for that cause. The writer characterizes such a departure as an abandonment of the living God. He sees, sees God as, quote, living, unquote, not in contrast to the deadness of the law, nor with the deadness of the pagan gods of the Gentile world, but rather in reference to his active response in punishing rebellion and rewarding obedience. Our God is a God who cares, who always sustains a living relationship with his people, unquote. So, so the idea here is that salvation cannot be lost, but our faith can be chosen not to, believe, to be used, utilized. So, Scripture clearly teaches that salvation cannot be lost. John chapter 10, verses 28 to 29. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So Jesus is saying, they're in my hand. I'm in the Father's hand. And nobody can take them out. Amen? When, when, when you got saved, you got saved once for all. God holds you in his hand right now. The devil, other unbelievers, nobody can take you out of God's hand. But yet the believer is not immune to turning his or her back on God. If we are not careful, and that includes me, if we are not careful, we can, we can become nominal Christians who are not living the Christian life because it, is, because it is too hard. And all we're looking for is a get-out-of-hell-free card. If we're not careful... We can lead our hearts to unbelief in God, not trusting them because of situation. And for these Hebrew Christians, they're facing intense persecution. They've lost houses. They've lost possessions. They've lost property. It's hard being a Christian at this time. And they're tempted to go away. And the author is warning them, don't do it. Because you, not, you're, you're, you will leave the one true God and you'll live your life in a nominal fashion not living it for his kingdom. So that leads me to ask this morning, are you closely examining your heart consistently? Are you closely examining your heart consistently? Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Your heart matters. Brothers and sisters, yes, if you've been saved, you've been bought by the blood of Christ, amen, you are, you're on your way to heaven, but your heart still matters. It still can lead you astray. So are you consistently looking at it constantly? Are you thinking about, okay, what am I thinking about? Am I thinking thoughts that lead me to God, or am I tempted to not believe Him, and, and therefore starting to turn away from Him? 
Am I looking at my intentions, my actions, and seeing in my own heart, are those leading to unbelief or belief? And if they're leading to unbelief, am I working my way back towards belief? Because let's be honest with ourselves. Okay? Personal honesty here. You don't have to raise hands. But isn't it sometimes hard to believe God? (laughs) You look at your life, you look at the world, you look at what's going on in the world today. It's hard. You can't, can't understand some things that are going on. Even in your own life, you can't understand why that relationship isn't working or that family member is doing what they're doing or why you're going through the pain and sorrow that you're feeling. And you're tempted, as we all are, to doubt God. And that's an opportunity for you to question your heart and seeing if it is leading you to, toward belief or unbelief. And are you willing to make the step towards belief? Because if you make the step the other way, it can lead you down a path of turning away from the one true God. So are you this morning closely examining your heart consistently? Taking time in his word, praying, fellowshipping with other Christians, asking. This, this is where we've been talking about, and we mentioned it a little bit at our deacons meeting, where we as members of the body of Christ are to care for one another as Scripture teaches us. You know, we, we put the prayer requests on the back of our sheet, not just so you can pray about them, but to check up on people and see how they're doing. Are you utilizing that option to help you lead you to our, a place of belief? There's some here this morning, you're members of different churches. I would encourage you, use those people in your church to get you on the right path, to get your heart right so you can choose to believe God and not turn away in unbelief. Secondly, and lastly, the author tells us to encourage others to do the same. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is again a commanded action. Exhort means to encourage. It requires, by virtue of it being an imperative, it requires obedience. So the encouragement is given to other believers regardless of where they're at or who they are. We're supposed to encourage one another in this effort. It doesn't matter whether a person just got saved or has been saved for a long time, as many of you have. We're supposed to encourage others to examine their hearts, make sure they're leading themselves and their hearts to belief and not unbelief. This encouragement also happens today in the present That phrase, while it is called today, refers to an undisclosed amount of time. But the emphasis is being on present-day life. So, while it is called today, it could, you know, today, it could be years, months, an undisclosed amount of time, but emphasizes the present. Why? Because there is a coming today where today will be no more. It reminds us of what Jesus says in John chapter 9, verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Encouraging others isn't for tomorrow. For a week down the road, for a month down the road, it, it's supposed to happen today. In the present. The believer in Jesus Christ needs to be encouraged. Not just sometime, but now. There is no one who is sitting in this room who is not a believer 
or who is a believer who does not need to be encouraged. All of us do, don't we? We all need encouragement. We all need to to be exhorted, if you will, to look at our hearts. Because we're all sinners. Even your pastor who turned 38 today is still a sinner. We all need the encouragement. Notice also that the lack of encouragement results in a heart hardened by sin. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The word lest here is grammatically used to sign to show the results of this action of not encouraging one another. We can be hardened. What does that word hardened mean? It means to be stubborn. Any of you stubborn this morning? Hardened? Okay, I am. Uh, its construction is designed to show that this hardening of the heart is done by an outside force, and here the outside force is sin. We could use the illustration of concrete. I don't know if, you've, if any of you, and I'm assuming you have, worked with concrete. You know, you mix the concrete with water and you pour it in. And you let it set, right? Because it just doesn't harden right away. It needs air and sun to dry it out. Because when it is exposed to the air and the sun, the concrete hardens. Not by virtue of what's going on inside of itself, but because it's being dried out by the air and by the sun. Well, if we're not careful, we can have a hardened heart through the influence of sin. And notice how the author describes sin through the deceitfulness of sin. The word deceitfulness means to clearly to be deceived or disillusioned. So what is he saying? He's saying sin always deceives and creates an invitation to accept what it offers, which really is empty fulfillment. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says about sin and its deception. He's quoting a little bit from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, which we're reading in, in making this quote. He said, quote, Words, the forbidden fruit seemed good and desirable to Eve, yet it cast her out of Eden. The walking idly on his palace roof seemed harmless enough to David, Yet it ended in adultery and murder. Sin rarely seems sin at first beginnings. Let us then watch and pray lest we fall into temptation. We may give wickedness smooth names, but we cannot alter its character and nature in the sight of God. Let us remember St. Paul's words. So he's, ex- he's contributing Hebrews to, Saint Paul, to Paul. He says, exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Unquote. Sin is always deceitful, right? It may, it may paint itself in pleasant terms. Oh, that, that lying, that's okay. We don't want to hurt that person's feelings, so go ahead and lie a little bit. Oh, oh that, 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 that uh, taking of the little extra out of the cash till, that's okay. You need to provide for your family. Sin always has pleasant terms affixed to it. But it always is the same before God. It always is violation of His will, and it leads to empty fulfillment. Sin will always harden your hearts to our hearts, to the things of God, if we let it do its work. So are you being deceived by sin in your own heart? Are you letting sin 
dwell in your own heart? And am I letting it in my own heart dwell and fester and let it harden my heart to the things of God? Yes, believers can harden their heart because of sin. That's why the author says, watch out, be careful, pay attention. Encourage your, your fellow believers to do the same because sin deceives. Sin will always tell you it's all right. When God says, no, it's not all right, you need to get right with me. Sin is always deceitful. Are you letting it deceive your own heart? Notice also with me that encouraging others comes from, the posi- from our position in Christ. Verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it's said today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. The word partakers here means to, to be a companion or share in. So the author is just noticing for his readers and for us, that we as believers have become companions in Christ. That's what the book of Ephesians talks about, right? We're becoming part of his body, part of his building. We share in his plans for us. We have an equal share in him. So encouraging one another. It's just like encouraging your fellow brother or sister in your family. It's the same thing. We're all part of Christ, and therefore it should be easy for us to encourage one another, to, to watch our hearts, to not be led astray by deceitfulness of sin. Now that phrase, if we hold fast, the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end, seems, seems, would seem to you as, as another, well, this means I have to work at my salvation. No, it's an encouragement to the readers to hold on to the faith they already have despite the opposition we face. We face increasing opposition all the time. And there's the, the ever temptation of not holding fast to that confidence that we had at the beginning. So the author of Hebrews reminds his readers of the admonition he mentioned in the beginning of this passage. That's why he uses verse 15. He's a good preacher. He begins with a quote and he brings it back up. He says, hey guys, remember, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Remember this needs to be done today, not tomorrow. Because there's always the danger of you hardening your heart. We as believers in Jesus Christ share together with him and therefore we should be naturally encouraging one another to take a look at our hearts. Because that's where it matters. And finally, look with me. History reminds us what happens when unbelief takes over so he asks a series of questions here, verses 16 through 19. Again, he, he's trying to get his, his readers to think. Okay, think about this. For who having heard rebelled? Who was it? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? So who rebelled, guys? Answer the question. Oh, all who came out of Egypt. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? So, so they rebelled. God was angry with them. What happened to them? Oh, they sinned, and therefore they, they died in the wilderness. Oh, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Okay, so they didn't enter into his rest. They didn't enter, enter into the land. They died, and therefore did not enter into the, his rest because of their disobedience. Verse 19 is this kind of concluding statement. Again, the preacher comes out in him. So we see they cannot enter in because of a belief. So here... 
the author is showing us that the unbelief was the reason the first generation did not enter the land, which was a fulfillment of God's promise to them. So he promised them all the way back in Numbers 14, they're not going to enter into the land because of their disobedience to their unbelief. And so they didn't. And yet the flip side of that is, those who did enter the land entered because of belief. So he's challenging his readers in these few verses to believe. Trust God. Put your faith in God. Because there is reward for that. The lesson of history reminds us from the nation of Israel that if you let unbelief harden your heart, you let sin harden your heart, there are devastating consequences. So can I ask you a question? Are you watching out for your brother or sister in Christ this morning? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we'll get to this. The author says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of son, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Are you encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you watching out for them? Why? Because it's very easy for us as Christians to just focus on ourselves, isn't it? Right? And we see this a lot in, in our prayer request time. Not, not a bad thing. But a lot of times you, you'll raise your hand and, well, pray for me in this area. And we hear these personal prayer requests and we, and we pray for people. And a lot of times it seems self uh, focus. You know, I've got this going on and I've got this going on. That's great. We need to pray for those things. But what counts even more is are we following up with those people, for example, after they've mentioned those prayer requests, maybe a week or two down the road. Hey, hey I heard you mention this thing. How's this going? We, we need to watch out for each other. And, and not in a way that you know, shows up at a person's door and peeks through the windows. How are they doing? Not in that fashion. I'm not talking about stalking. All right? I'm talking about are we, are we intentionally looking into each other's lives and helping each other, especially when things are going rough? When we're tempted to not believe, where a brother or sister in Christ is, is going through an extremely hard time and that the unbelief is perhaps creeping in and you walk in there with a cup of coffee and, say, and sit down with them and they reveal to you, hey, yeah, I'm just really struggling with with us here. And that is an opportunity for you to reach out into their lives and say, hey, I feel for you, I understand for you. Let's look at what the Bible says. That's watching out. A phone call, a text message, a Facebook message, whatever it might be. Let's watch out for each other. Let's encourage one another. Let's be in there. Not on the sidelines watching the game, but actually in the game. Showing the love of Christ for our brothers and sisters because if we're not careful, sin can creep in and deceive us to turn away from the one true God. Are you watching out for your brother and sister in Christ? And some of you say, well, pastor, I've got a lot of things on my plate. I understand. It's busy. But still, we need to make time and the room to watch out for each other. Is it easy? No. Is it hard? Yes. Because sometimes you get that text message or that phone call and either A, you don't want to talk to the person or B, it's just not convenient for you. 
And you, maybe you're the one reaching out to that person. And, and, and you're tempted to not say anything. You're like, oh, maybe they're busy. Maybe they got this going on. I don't want to interrupt. No, no, still, still we need to overcome those moments of doubt. Reach out to each other. And say, hey, how are you doing? How, how are things? I know, I know it's been a struggle recently. What's going on? There's so many ways we can do this, and I, I trust, and my point is not to, not to belabor the point, not to come down harshly upon you, but I would encourage all of us in this room. Here's a challenge for you this week. This week. Pick one person. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to pick one person this week, someone I don't normally talk to, and give them a phone call and say, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? And I would encourage you to do the same. It doesn't have to be a phone call. It could be a text message. It could be a Facebook message, whatever. It would be social media. But reach out to someone this week and ask them how they're doing. It could be that they're doing fine, right? It could be doing they're okay. But you may run across someone who is struggling. And that may have been the moment that God put in your heart and mind to reach out to them, encourage them not to have a heart of unbelief. Do that this week. I'm not asking for a raise of hands, for commitment, but do that this week. Pick a person. Reach out to them. Encourage them. Warnings exist for us to pay attention to them. Because if we do not, there are devastating and sometimes life-altering consequences. God has given us a warning in this passage this morning. Do not wander from the faith. How can we heed that warning? We are attentive to our hearts. And we encourage others to do the same. Our hearts are evil. They're deceitful. Sin can creep in and harden our hearts. So we need to pay attention to them personally and help others to do the same. So this week, as we have another busy week ahead of us, and until we see His face, let us all together press on in our faith and not go astray.